text for this morning's sermon is Numbers 31. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Are men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were provided out of the thousands of Israel a thousand from each tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. They warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. And the people of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their little ones. And they took as plunder all their cattle, their flocks, and all their goods. All their cities and the places where they lived and all their encampments, they burned with fire. And took all the spoil and all the plunder, both of man and of beast. Then they brought the captives and the plunder and the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the congregation of the people of Israel at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the chiefs of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had come from service in the war. Moses said to them, have you let all the women live? Behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man by lying with him. But all the young girls who have not known man by lying with him keep alive for yourselves and camp outside the camp seven days. Whoever of you has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. You shall purify every garment, every article of skin, all work of goat's hair, and every article of wood. Then Eliezer the priest said to the men in the army who had gone to battle, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead... Everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire. It shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall also be purified with the water for impurity. And whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water. You must wash your clothes on the seventh day, and you shall be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. The Lord said to Moses, Take the count of the plunder that was taken, both of man and of beast, you and Eliezer the priest and the heads of the fathers' houses of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts, between the warriors who went out to battle and all the congregation. 
and levy for the Lord a tribute from the men of war who went out to battle, one out of 500 of the people and of the oxen and of the donkeys and of the flocks. Take it from their half and give it to Eliezer, the priest, as a contribution to the Lord. And from the people of Israel's half, you shall take one drawn out of every 50 of the people of the oxen, of the donkeys, and of the flocks, of all the cattle, and give them to the Levites who keep guard over the tabernacle of the Lord. And Moses and Eliezer the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now the plunder remaining of the spoil that the army took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all, women who had not known man by lying with them. And the half, the portion of those who had gone out in the army, numbered 337,500 sheep, and the Lord's tribute of sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. And Moses gave the tribute which was the contribution for the Lord to Eliezer the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. From the people of Israel's half, which Moses separated from that of the men who had served in the army. Now the congregation's half was uh, 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. From the people of Israel's half, Moses took one out of every 50, both of persons and of beasts, and gave them to the Levites who kept guard over the tabernacle of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, came near to Moses and said to Moses, Your servants have counted the men of war who are under our command, and there is not a man missing from us. And we have brought the Lord's offering, what each man found, articles of gold, armlets and bracelets, signet rings, earrings and beads to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. And Moses and Eliezer the priest received from them the gold, all the crafted articles and the gold of the contribution that they presented to the Lord from the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. The men in the army had each taken plunder for himself. And Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial for the people of Israel before the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this past century, we've seen nations go to war with other nations and leaders carry out atrocities against people they despised and hated. We are familiar with Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust. Hitler carried out a program of genocide against the Jews, resulting in the mass extermination of an estimated six million Jews. Less well-known is the genocide that Joseph Stalin carried out against the Ukrainian people in the early 1930s. His goal was to destroy Ukrainian ambitions for independence 
and to ensure their submission to the Soviet state. Stalin nationalized agriculture and set impossibly high quotas that farmers had to fill before they were allowed to keep any wheat to feed their families. He created a famine that starved an estimated 3.9 million Ukrainian people. In 1994, a mass genocide of the Tutsi people took place in Rwanda. Leaders in the government from the Hutu majority labeled the Tutsi people as vermin, cockroaches, and snakes. It led to the extermination of between 800,000 and a million people. Genocide is the deliberate and systematic destruction of a racial, political, religious, or cultural group. In the world today, genocide is viewed as a terrible evil. Leaders guilty of genocide can be charged with crimes against humanity. And that makes sense to us. We recoil at images of people from Nazi concentration camps or of people lying in mass graves who were killed because they belonged to a despised group in their community. As such, this morning's text presents us with problems. It records how the Israelites went to war against the Midianites with the intent of wiping them out. It details the destruction not just of Midian's warriors, but also of Midian's women and the male children. Was Israel guilty of genocide or ethnic cleansing? Was Moses a war criminal? Our difficulties with Numbers 31 don't end there. What do we make of the fact that the Lord himself commanded his people to go to war against Midian to bring his vengeance against them? What does this say about the character of our God? Is God a monster? How could a good God command his people to exterminate the Midianites? In the New Testament, Jesus commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. How does that fit with the God pictured in our text? How do we defend the Christian faith when others challenge us with seemingly irreconcilable differences between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament? This morning I preached to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord brings vengeance against those who sought to lead his people astray. We'll consider God's judgment on evildoers and God's salvation of his people. Our text this morning is a difficult text. It's difficult because many people have a distorted perspective on who God is. The only message that many have heard from the Bible is the message that Jesus is love. And they don't know what to do with the idea that God is angry with sin and that he will punish all those who refuse to repent of their evil ways. Many people don't have any idea of what it means that God is not only merciful, 
but that he is also just. The fact that God is just and that he punishes evildoers should not be all that hard for us to understand. We have been created in the image of God, and we all have a sense of justice in us. Anytime you feel wronged, anytime you say, that's not fair, what you're communicating is that someone has acted unjustly towards you or towards others whom you identify with. What do you think should happen when someone acts unjustly towards you or one of your loved ones? Do you think we should just be loving and let it go? What if they did something terrible? What if they raped or abused you or someone you loved? What if they beat you up and seriously injured you? What if they murdered your mom or your child? In our text, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. So Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. Here the Lord orders Israel to go to war to execute divine retribution against the Midianites. The Lord is very angry with the Midianites and with how they attacked his people. Thus he orders Israel to go to war to destroy them. What we need to understand, beloved, is that this conflict between Midian and Israel is no ordinary war. Contrary to the claims of some, this is not an act of ethnic cleansing on Israel's part. The Israelites were not seeking to wipe out every trace of a rival ethnic group, the Midianites. What happened in Numbers 31 is the result of what happened earlier, when the Midianites had sought to bring a curse on Israel to destroy God's people. Earlier in Numbers, we saw how Balak, the Midianite king, had contracted with Balaam, a sorcerer, to put a curse on Israel. Balak was afraid of the Israelites because they were a strong nation. Even though the Israelites did nothing hostile towards the Midianites, Balak paid a lot of money for Balaam to come and curse them. Yet the Lord prevented Balaam from cursing his people. Verses 15 and 16 of our text explains how later Balaam came back to Balak with another plan of how to attack the Israelites. The Midianites devised a, sick, a slick plan by which to tempt the Israelites and lead them astray so the Lord's judgment would fall on them. They invited them to hang out with their new neighbors to join in a feast they were celebrating. In ancient times, when they had a feast, the meat was commonly offered to idols before it was eaten. The Israelites were looking forward to the feast, so they went along. It's not all that happened. A feast does not just include good food. It also involves having a few drinks. This feast turned into a party. 
When Paul describes what happened in 1 Corinthians 10, he says that the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. There was music. They started dancing. Couples formed, and with all the drinking, inhibitions were lowered. People drifted away from the party to have sex together. We know from history that Baal was a fertility god, and that at feasts in his honor, people would commonly pair off to have sex. Thus, the Midianites enticed the Israelites to prostitute themselves. They did so physically by giving into sexual temptation and spiritually by bowing down and worshiping Baal Peor instead of the Lord. What we need to understand, beloved, is that this was not just something that happened. This was a coordinated attack against God's people. It was suggested by Balaam and implemented by Balak. It involved influential members from both the Midianites and from the Israelites. The man who openly slept with a Midianite woman in the camp was the son of a chief of a father's house from the tribe of Simeon. The woman was the daughter of a tribal chief of a father's house in Midian. The Midianites wanted to bring God's curse against his own people, and they succeeded in doing so. Numbers 25 tells us the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. Because of Israel's idolatry and fornication, the Lord brought a plague on his people. That day, 24,000 people died. So the Midianites were successful in their plan to bring God's curse on Israel. In our text, we see that the Lord remembers what the Midianites had done. He commands his people to execute his vengeance against the Midianites. He sent a thousand men from each tribe to carry out his commands, a total of 12,000 men. The Lord went with them into battle. It's signified by the fact that the army was led into battle by Phinehas, the son of the high priest. He brought with him the holy objects. This likely included the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's earthly dwelling place, as well as trumpets to summon God's help. For Israel's soldiers, these objects served as constant reminders of the Lord's presence in their midst. The war proceeded smoothly because the people did precisely what the Lord commanded. They slaughtered the Midianites and their five kings, including Zer, the father of the Midianite princess who was involved in leading the Israelites astray. They killed Balaam, the sorcerer, executing judgment on him for his wicked conspiracy against the Israelites. They burned their cities and their encampments with fire. They took the Midianite women and their children captive and plundered their property, taking cattle and possessions as spoils of war. When they returned home from war, Moses was angry with them because they had not put the adult Midianite women to death. Moses points out that the women were involved in leading the Israelites into idolatry and sexual immorality. God's anger extended not just to the men from among the Midianites, but also to the women. He commands them to kill every woman who had slept with a man 
along with all the male children. Thus, the Lord exacted his vengeance against the Midianites, for they brought trouble on his people. We may struggle to understand the Lord's vengeance against evildoers. And so it's beneficial for us to consider the difference between correctional and retributive punishment. Correctional punishment is intended to rehabilitate someone who has done wrong. Its focus is on teaching an offender not to do the wrong again. Retributive punishment is intended to make someone pay for the wrong that they have done. Its focus is on avenging the wrongdoing done against someone else. When the Lord punished Israel by sending a plague upon them, there are elements of both God's retributive and correctional justice. The Lord punished his people for their sins of worshiping the Baal of Peor and indulging in sexual immorality. Yet God's main purpose in punishing them was correctional. He did not want them to succumb to the Midianite ploy to seduce them and assimilate them. In our text, we see the Lord apply retributive justice against the Midianites. They attacked his covenant people and tried to lead them astray. They wanted to bring Israel under God's curse because of her own sins. So now the Lord brings his wrath on the Midianites. It's punishment for their wicked plot to lead his people astray. Some people ask, what right does the Lord have to bring punishment against various people or nations? The answer is simple. God has every right to punish those who do evil. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. He is the owner of this world and all that's in it. He rules not only over his own people, but over the entire world. On the final day, every person who ever lived will have to appear before the judgment seat of God to give account of all that they did in this life. To understand the Lord's actions, we need to go back to Genesis 3. Satan tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, and led them in rebellion against God. Because of man's deliberate disobedience, we came under the dominion of Satan. Satan became the ruler over the hearts and lives of sinful mankind. But the Lord was not content to allow Satan's mastery He acted mercifully and graciously. He cursed Satan by putting enmity between him and the woman, between his followers and hers. God promised to send a Messiah to deliver his people from their sins, to restore them to a living relationship with him. All of history needs to be understood in the light of this promise. The attack of the Midianites was a diabolical attack against God's covenant people. It was a satanic conspiracy to try assimilate the Israelites into a pagan way of life, or at least to arouse God's anger against his people so he would destroy them. 
In this attack, Israel's future was at stake. The line to the promised Messiah was threatened. And so the Lord acted to defend his people. His vengeance against the Midianites was a warning to the surrounding nations that Israel was his chosen people, that they attacked her at their own peril. Beloved, we serve a just God. The Lord is very angry with sin and rebellion against him. In the days of Noah, he brought a catastrophic flood that destroyed every living thing on earth. He did so because the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. In the days of Abraham, the Lord brought fire from heaven on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin was very grave. Soon, Israel would enter the promised land with a command to blot out the seven Canaanite nations. When speaking to Abraham about the future, the Lord indicated that his descendants would not return to Canaan until the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. God gave time for them to repent from their wicked ways. Yet when they persisted in their ungodliness and rebellion, he executed his wrath against them. Beloved, we need to understand that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He does not change. Anyone who suggests that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament is sorely mistaken. Even today, God is very angry with the rebellion and the wickedness of mankind. Wicked nations and leaders are storing up wrath for themselves on the final day. Yet God is merciful and gracious, allowing time for many to turn to him in repentance and faith. We serve a just God who will inflict punishment on those who perpetrate violence and evil against others. God particularly takes note of those who oppress and who persecute his people. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says that God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflicted you. Paul goes on to speak of the return of Christ from heaven with his mighty angels. He says that he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There's both warning and comfort in this, beloved, The warning is that God is terribly angry with all those who live in rebellion against him and his commandments. It's especially the case with those who act unjustly, perpetrating evil and violence against those who cannot defend themselves. Unless we repent of our wicked ways, we will come under the judgment of our God. Our comfort is that God is merciful 
and gracious. He's not unseeing or uncaring. When others oppress us or abuse us, God sees, God knows. Even if we don't get justice for the sins committed against us in this life, we will in the life to come. Brings us to our second point, God's salvation of his people. The second half of our text details the cleansing of the Israelites and the distribution of the plunder. Once Israel's soldiers returned home from war, Moses commanded them to camp outside the Israelite camp for seven days. Even though the soldiers were God's instrument through which he brought vengeance upon the Midianites, their actions of killing their enemies or touching the dead made them ritually unclean. Both the soldiers and their plunder had to be washed with the waters of cleansing before they could return to the camp of the Lord's people. Since it was the Lord who had commanded the war and provided the victory, he also directed how the spoils of war were divided. He did not require all of it to be devoted to him, as would be the case when Israel first entered the promised land and was required to offer the plunder from Jericho to him as an offering of first fruits to the Lord. The spoils of war also did not all go to the soldiers who had fought the battle. Half of the plunder went to the soldiers who risked their, their lives by going off to war to execute God's wrath against the Midianites. The other half was to be given to all who stayed home. From their spoils, the soldiers were required to give one out of 500 of the sheep, cattle, donkeys, and people to the priests. And the congregation was to give one out of 50 of this plunder to the Levites. The people followed the Lord's commands happily. They were thankful for his goodness in giving them the victory over their enemies. Our text goes on to detail the wondrous salvation that the Lord worked on behalf of his people Israel. The commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds reported to Moses, your servants have counted the men of war who are under our command, and there is not a man missing from us. This demonstrates clearly that this battle against the Midianites was the Lord's. Although he used human instruments, the Lord won a decisive victory against his enemies. His grace and care are seen in that there was not a single family in all Israel that had to mourn the loss of a fallen soldier that day. All could rejoice in God's goodness and care in allowing victory without costing any of the Israelite soldiers their lives. The men of war recognized how amazing this was. Spontaneously, they offered up to God all the gold objects they had plundered from their enemies. Armlets and bracelets, signet rings, earrings and beads. They offered the best of the plunder back to God because their hearts were moved to respond to his amazing grace. What is striking is what they said when they offered the gold plunder as tribute to God. They said, we have brought the Lord's offering, what each man found, articles of gold, to make 
atonement for ourselves before the Lord. In other words, they recognized that their lives were not their own, but that they belonged to the Lord. As they fought against and exterminated the people who had acted wickedly against the Lord, they were faced with the fact that they too were natural-born rebels against God who deserved to come under his condemnation. The Israelite soldiers recognized that in light of God's righteousness and holiness, they were men whose lives were tainted with sin. The destruction of the Midianites was a reminder of how the Lord had brought his judgment against their fathers for their rebellion and their wickedness. None of that first generation was allowed entrance into the promised land. They all perished in the wilderness. It's a reminder to us that the destruction of the Midianites is what each and every one of us deserves. We've all offended against the holiness and the majesty of our God. We all deserve destruction. The Israelite soldiers offered the gold they took as plunder as an offering to the Lord to make atonement for themselves before the Lord. The gold they presented to the Lord was 16,750 shekels. Do you know what a sacrifice of atonement is? It is a payment to cover sin, to restore the giver into the right relationship with God. Even though this offering was not mandated, Israel's soldiers offered it as a memorial for the people of Israel before the Lord. It was an admission that although they were the chosen people of God, at heart they were no better than the Midianites. It was an offering for sin to restore them to the right relationship with God. This offering points forward to the great work that Jesus Christ would accomplish for us. Peter reflects on Christ's gracious atoning work in 1 Peter 1. He calls on us not to be conformed to the passions of the flesh, but to be holy as God is holy. Peter writes, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Beloved, if we recognize God's amazing grace in granting us salvation through the blood of Christ, then we will respond to him with thankfulness and joy as Israel's soldiers did when God spared their lives. It's a fresh appreciation of God's abundant grace that moves our hearts to worship. By nature, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. 
We adore God for his love and kindness to us in Jesus Christ. There are many who use our text to mock and ridicule God. But that's because they don't know God and they don't know themselves. They think they're good people who just deserve God's blessings. They don't recognize their sins and their rebellion against the majesty and holiness of God. But God is a just judge. On the final day, he will require everyone to give account of all they have said and done on this earth. Many will come under condemnation. They will be cast off to hell to be separated from God and his blessings forevermore. But we, beloved, by grace will be saved if we have confessed Christ as our Savior and sought forgiveness in his blood. We will inherit everlasting life, just like the Israelites were allowed to share in the blessings of the promised land. We will enjoy everlasting joy and glory with God and with all his people because of Christ's redeeming work. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 18, stanzas 14 and 15.